morning. And welcome to First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin. We are a spiritual community dedicated to a free search for truth, meaning, and beauty. Our guest minister today is Aaron J. Walter, to be ordained in October by our congregation, along with Wildflower Church. Along with Aaron, I want to especially welcome our visitors here this morning. We're so glad you're here, and we hope you'll join us for coffee and conversation in House and Hall after the service. We come from a long tradition of seeing a spark of the divine in each of us. It is in that tradition that I invite you to turn to those around you and greet the holy among us this morning. It is also our tradition in UU churches to begin our services by lighting a chalice, which is a symbol of our faith. Please say with me the words for lighting the chalice, which, were print, which are printed in your order of service. Love is the spirit of this church, and service is its law. This is our great covenant, to dwell together in peace, to seek the truth in love, and to help one another. Good morning. It is so wonderful to be with you today. Wow. It has been three years, almost to the day, since I've been in this pulpit with you, and it's been a journey. I've been off in seminary with the support of this congregation. But it has not escaped me that when I was here three years ago, I was preaching the Sunday after Ferguson became a police state. And here I am with you again with a lot on my heart. I'm glad to be with you. Our call to worship this morning comes from Reverend Susan Frederick Gray, our president of the Unitarian Universalist Association, writing from Charlottesville, Virginia. She wrote last night about the events of yesterday. This morning, the faith leaders that were called here by Congregate Seville went to Emancipation Park to block the entrance and prevent the Unite the Right rally from taking place. The message was clear. To stand with a community to say that hate has no place here. The white nationalist protesters we face chanted Nazi slogans like, You will not replace us, and blood and soil, in between sexist and homophobic slurs. They carried pictures of Hitler. They wore Make America Great Again hats and held pictures of the President of the United States. They had automatic weapons, paramilitary uniforms, shields, and clubs. She continues, White supremacist groups are being given permission to act violently without repercussions, and this was on display in Charlottesville. They had their guns and shields. We had our songs, our faith, our love, and we had each other. You can read Reverend Frederick Gray's full report on Facebook. I will tell you that the clergy united saying this little light of mine during their human chain in Charlottesville yesterday, and that song was already planned for our opening hymn today. I ask you to hold in your heart a vision of your light 
our chalices around the world outshining any hate-lit torches. Unitarian Universalism is a faith with shared values but no required beliefs. So a lot of the time people ask us, well then what holds you together? And one of the things that unites this church where I grew up and feel at home is this common mission. We've painted it high and I invite you to say it together. We gather in community to nourish souls transform lives, and do justice. Will you breathe with me? Spirit of life, there is so much we hold on our hearts and minds before we even enter this space. Be with us as we sit here today with our deepest longings, greatest pains, and joys. I would like to lift up a prayer for fellow parents who may be very excited for the school year to be starting, for fellow educators who may not be quite ready, for children who may be feeling some of both, A prayer today for those who are feeling sick, who are in need of healing of body or spirit, and for those who have something to celebrate. May this be a place that can hold all of that, for it is all here every day in this community. I want to hold in prayer and love the names Heather Heyer, killed by a white supremacist terrorist yesterday in Charlottesville, as well as State Troopers Lieutenant H.J. Cullen and Trooper Burke Bates killed in Charlottesville in the line of duty, and all those suffering from violence. These words from the National Black Lives Matter movement shared last night are a prayer in my book. We call on everyone to pay attention to the ways white supremacy manifests in our workplaces, our schools, our homes. It is necessary that the horror that many people are expressing turns into tangible action to improve the material conditions of black folks in this country. End quote. Their full statement is also available online. And I lift up that as those material conditions for black folks in this country improve, so will the conditions of all souls. At this time, I invite you to silently light candles in our window for the prayers of your most precious heart. May the prayers of your heart be heard. So when I was in seminary, which was about a hot minute ago, people were always suggesting books to me, as though seminarians have time for extra books. More than once it was reading the Bible again for the first time, 
by Marcus Borg. I told those kind recommenders, take away the word again, and that's me. As a lifelong UU humanist, I am reading much of the Bible for the first time, period. Let me be clear, I am not proud of this. I believe many UUs, myself included, need greater literacy in sacred texts, especially if we are called, and I believe we are, to minister with and to more than just those of us of white or economic privilege. And you have to start somewhere. So here is going to be Genesis chapter 3 of the People's Bible. Given our themes of misogyny and white supremacy and what we know about who the global majority is and where sacred texts were written, I want to invite us all, myself included, if we don't do this already, to imagine the characters of Adam and Eve with dark skin and God as genderless. God said, you shall not eat the fruit of the tree that is in the middle of the garden, nor shall you touch it, or you will die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not die, for God knows that when you eat it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened. God tells Eve she will die. Does she? No, not right there. Many of us grew up with the message that Eve ruined paradise for everyone. It was her fault we humans had to spend our lives atoning, trying to make paradise great again, if you will. I wish I thought it were funny, but I, I feel you. It's a release. Unitarian Universalism encourages us to question, to not just accept one story or one way. So I have questions here. Just who is lying in the Genesis story? Who should we trust? And whose motives should arouse suspicion? The woman who chooses knowingly to seek wisdom and face good and evil? The animal who is maligned through the ages, but if you read the actual text, told Eve the truth about her choices. Or a fear-mongering entity in power who made a bold, hollow threat to the people, trying to hang on to that power, that sense of exclusiveness of the garden. How different 2,000 years of Judeo-Christian history, which includes much of our UU history, might be. Eve were respected, admired for her choices, her willingness to seek knowledge and beauty and take risks 
How glorious. And it's not too late for us to take a different version of the story into our imaginations or our hearts. Just like it cannot be too late to tackle white supremacy or many oppressions that are tangled up together in our world. Another way is possible. And in fact, scholars tell us it has already been written. Genesis 3 has been misunderstood, writes scholar Susan Nittich in the Women's Bible Commentary. Eve is the protagonist, not her husband, Nittich writes. This is an important point, she says, as it's a realization that to be the curious one, the seeker of knowledge, the tester of limits, is to be quintessentially human. I love that. I read it and I thought, wow, Eve could have made a pretty great Unitarian Universalist. Or at least the kind of you you I aspire to be and I aspire for us to be. Now, at Wildflower Church, the congregation I served as intern for two years, which grew out of this congregation and which I'm now affiliated with in community ministry, 21 of our 31 founding Wildflowers were women. And this year, the Unitarian Universalist Association had its first female president, Reverend Sophia Betancourt, who was appointed, along with two men, a trio of leaders of color who completed Reverend Peter Morales' vacated term. And now we have our first elected female UUA president, Reverend Frederick Gray, a white woman whose words from Charlottesville you heard this morning in our call to worship. Friends, this is a crucial, crucial time for women and people of color in our movement and in our nation. As Reverend Ashley Haran put it in her Berry Street lecture at General Assembly in June, everything is falling apart. And it needs to. A lot of things need to fall apart. It is our call to put them back together better. We have some fears to name first. We can't act like it's going to be easy work. It's work that has been going on since before any of us here were born and will go on after we die. All around, whether on the streets of Charlottesville, in the news, or on social media, we see the poisonous fruit of that tree of fear, anger, hatred, violence, and in addition to the glaring attacks on black and brown people, on immigrants, on trans and queer people, those with disabilities, we continue to see much of this hate indiscriminately directed at women. You heard it in Reverend Frederick Gray's report from Charlottesville, all tangled up together. Between Nazi chants were peppered homophobic and sexist rants. What came into the spotlight directed at female presidential candidates Hillary Clinton and Carly Fiorina last fall, and which originally seeded this sermon many months ago, has been growing and evolving and is emboldened anew alongside racism and xenophobia in our world. I want to take a move back 
with Huffington Post writer Katie Massa Kennedy, who took a historical view on misogyny. She says, the lore of the conniving shrew, the cunning wench, the lying Jezebel, this embodiment of untrustworthiness in female form, is genius in its simplicity. Gut the credibility, remove the voice. And she says, in a country like ours, which even today has stronger Judeo-Christian ties than any other westernized nation, it is so compelling. Eve giving Adam this apple, the powerful casting of a woman in a penchant for treachery from the start. Kennedy says we've seen this trope continue in the Salem witch, the woman suffragist, the second wave feminist, some of you are here, the modern day gold digger. Since then, we can now add the phrase from the presidential debates, nasty woman, to that list. Some of you are here. When I say some of you are here, I mean that as a compliment. Um, We could add Mitch McConnell's description of Elizabeth Warren trying to read from Coretta Scott King in the Senate. She was warned. She was given an explanation. Nevertheless, she persisted. This, hey. This sounds like a recap of Eve in Genesis to me. And it sounds like the resiliency that a lot of women of color know very well. And I would add to the list angry black women as another one of those tropes, which we hear about prophetic voices in justice work, including those of Black Lives Matter, of Black Lives of UU, and women of color who have been whistleblowers for white supremacist and sexist practices in hiring in our own denomination. This trope... This miscasting of Eve moving forward, the woman's words being nullified before she can even speak them. Gut the credibility, remove the voice, Kennedy says. This losing of your voice yourself goes completely against our first principle of the inherent worth and dignity of every person. And feel like we, keep, we say this, and it just bears repeating. We are called at this moment in time to be not just prophetic witnesses, but workers against misogyny, dismantling patriarchy along with white supremacy. And so for me, as a white woman with a platform, it is really important for me to name, as, as painful as it is, that patriarchy and white supremacy, I am convinced are what had 53% of white female voters casting their ballots for a boldly misogynist candidate last year against their own interest. If the movement for collective liberation truly had white women, more white women at the heart, we wouldn't have an administration that can't even condemn the Charlottesville violence as coming from one side of white supremacy. We need radical change, a soul shift. We need to be having these difficult, uncomfortable conversations with the people we don't want to talk to. 
Frankly, the people who share soil and blood, as those neo-Nazis chanted, soil and blood of ours, of mine. We need to look at our business as usual the way we can have a rereading of the Genesis story. And it is not academic. It is real life, life and death, not just emotional, not just theoretical. We are talking about these consequences, to name but a few. Shamefully unequal pay and poor working conditions for women in the workplace and for all people who do so-called women's work, like teaching and caregiving or that unpaid emotional labor. Consequences like paltry jail terms, if any, for rapists, especially celebrity rapists, especially those who rape women of color. A United States where transgender women are murdered at a record rate, almost all of them women of color. 23 at least in the U.S. in 2016. These things that are embedded in how we think about things directly affect how we act about things. And I've added to this list the neo-Nazi crowd with their tiki torches in Charlottesville two nights ago, overwhelmingly, but not entirely, male. This misogyny is old stuff. Marginalized folks are hit the hardest, and it is still everybody's stuff. And so what are we going to do? I want to invite us to look inward today. We like to look out. we got to look in. Let us listen to the still small voice, no matter what our gender or identities of any kind, and think about where we are hurting from imposed gender roles or hierarchies of any kind, and where we might perpetuate them. In fairness, I will start with me. One thing that comes to mind is when my seven-year-old daughter asked me last year, how many girl presidents have we had? I choked on a lump in my throat to say to her, none. In 230 years, none. But did it occur to me to take that moment to educate her about Shirley Chisholm, who in 1972 became the first black candidate for a major party's nomination for U.S. president? No. Did I tell her about the rest of the world, about the more than 20 female heads of state or government leading countries right now? No. I let my own perspective be clouded by the America First propaganda that I abhor, rather than give my daughter the truer and, in fact, much more hopeful picture Like Eve, we need to take some risks and choose knowledge. A word about knowledge for you use. I love us, but we have been known to pat ourselves on the back as a group, perhaps a bit self-congratulatory at times about our enlightenment. Anyone? Maybe it's just me, but I don't think so. I say this with love. Nobody's perfect. 
When it comes to sexism or any oppression, we have a duty to look at ourselves and our churches too. This church is blessed, as many of our churches are, to have a senior minister who is a woman. And I still know, I still hear stories of folks who really just still expect the minister to be a man in a suit. And I will tell you that even though there is a Black Lives Matter sign in front of this church, a piece of me was like, can I wear this shirt in the pulpit? Should I call Chris Jimerson and just check in? I mean, I said to myself, no, no. I am a minister, and this is sacred clothing to me. And... from somewhere. And it's my work to work on it. And I will tell you, I once sat in a church committee as a group of good folks trying to get an important job done on a tight deadline, a scenario I'm sure many of you have been in, sat together, and one woman in the committee spoke up. She said, I raised this issue we're talking about months ago because I knew we needed time to get it done. No one responded to my email. The committee only acted when a man brought it up a few months later. She said, I've dealt with this at my job. I am frustrated to be dealing with it again in my church, and it only gets worse as I get older. She said, no one wants to listen to older women. We love this woman. I know that. And our intent was never to ignore her, but we did. And it is a spiritual understanding that I hope we all have that intent does not always equal impact. Do I have to pound my fists on the table to be heard, she said, when I called to ask her permission to tell her story. I told her she reminded me of Texas Senator Letitia Vandepute who spoke up so famously during the Wendy Davis abortion rights filibuster of 2013. At what point must a female senator raise her hand or her voice to be recognized over her male colleagues? The Senate chamber, full of emerging women's rights activists of all genders, many of whom are very active in the atrocious special session going on now, erupted in cheers. I can speak for myself. It is easy to cheer when politicians or a minister speaks. But what about when it's my sister or my mother or your wife or your coworker or your church member trying to talk to you about sexism or racism? God, it's harder when it's you. That's just the truth. And we still have to do this work. No one at that meeting cheered. There was silence and apologies and vows to do better from now on. Because doing better from now on is the best kind of atonement. Truthfully, day-to-day opportunities to fight oppressions of any kind are often that small. Just listening or replying to an email. 
Did you hear about what some of the women in Obama's staff did? It was written about in the Washington Post. They had this simple yet brilliant strategy called amplification. When a woman made a key point in a meeting, others would repeat it. Other women or genderqueer folks would repeat it, giving credit to the author. This would force everyone to recognize the contribution of that person and deny anyone the chance to intentionally or accidentally claim credit. Women on Obama's team went from one-third of the staff to half from the first to the second term, coming to represent the world we live in. And they believe that that intention played a big part. It's a strategy designed by women for women, but people of any gender can do it. White people can do it, amplifying, crediting, and compensating people of color for their work. To me, it is a spiritual practice, this amplification for resistance and rejoicing, because you're celebrating something good that someone is doing. And we need those practices. We need to amplify other voices. Now, speaking of other voices, I don't want to go without speaking to the men here today. You have been on my heart every time I have been in a position to talk about this. My husband, my son, my friends, some of you helped raise me here. People of all genders need healing from sexism and misogyny. I just want to invite the men here to check in with your feelings in this service. I have talked about women for 20 minutes straight, which really doesn't happen that much. So I just want to invite you to check in with yourself, with your feelings. And it's okay if there is resentment a little defensiveness, a little abandonment, something tender somewhere, it's okay. Notice it. Think about it. Pray about it. Talk about it with other men in this church. Let this place be a haven for you to do the work that you are called to do. Whatever you're feeling today, everyone here, I invite you, as I do to myself, to use it to deepen empathy for others who may be unheard. I will tell you that in other versions of this sermon, I've left it with action items for folks. People like task lists. I'm not going to do that today. The internet has task lists for you if you want to really get, get to reading or get to work on misogyny and white supremacy. Today, under the fatal tyranny of white supremacy in Charlottesville, I want to leave you with just one thing. One key piece of advice when we're talking about any oppression, but especially patriarchy and white supremacy. You don't have to write it down on your order of service, as some people like to do. It is an antidote to our earlier refrain about vetting the credibility and removing the voice, and it is a version of amplification. Here it is. Believe black women. That's it. Believe black women. It's a Twitter hashtag for a reason right now. Black women's lived experience and their leadership are to be believed. 
as are those of other female, trans, and genderqueer people of color, if you are despairing, turn to the scholarship and leadership of these folks who know firsthand from years and years, from generations, how to build a way out of no way. None of us need to reinvent the wheel on the road to collective liberation. Brian Stevenson, the author of our common read, Just Mercy, put it this way in our WHERE lecture at GA. He said, we must get proximate to those with the greatest need, for those know what is needed. Here in Austin, our Black Lives Matter group is active. They have met this morning. You are invited. We have immigrant activist groups. Our local Latinx organization, JOLT, just organized a quinceanera on the Capitol steps in support of sanctuary cities. The leadership we need is out there. We just have to get behind it. That is our hope. Those are the seeds that will replace those old weeds in the garden. I invite us to imagine a Genesis where Eve is a shero and not a villain to envision her as the founders of Black Lives Matter or as Latina teens holding up fists in formal dresses, may we understand them as the protagonists of our collective liberation story. Would you join me in the words we use to extinguish the chalice? We extinguish this flame, but not the light of truth the warmth of community, or the fire of commitment. These we hold in our hearts until we are together again. For our benediction, I invite you, if you are willing, to take a hand or touch a shoulder, if your neighbor is willing to. If not, connect to something sacred in yourself. Spirit of life, may this place be a sanctuary for all here today and for those who have yet to roll through our doors. May we bring the love and justice we seek to the world. May we be leaders where we are called to be leaders, and may we be disciples and supporters where we are called to be such. I want to invite you to say some sacred words with me three times in a row, and those are collective liberation with me. Collective liberation. Collective liberation, collective liberation. Amen. Blessed be. This is a production of the First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin. For more information, go to our website at austinuu.org.